So here in Genesis 48, Jacob is coming to the end of his days. And word came to Joseph, and they said, your father is sick. And Joseph comes to his father, Jacob, and he brings with him his two sons born in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, it's important and can be easily missed. And we'll notice that when we see this in the Scripture, it is referred to as Ephraim and Manasseh. For instance, in verse 5, Now your two sons, this is Jacob talking, Now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt. And you notice that Israel, who is Jacob. Now you see the switch here? Look at verse 2. The scripture says, And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself. So remember, when Jacob comes back, and he's getting ready to cross over the Jordan, but before he can cross the brook, he wrestles with God. And when the day is breaking, God dislocates Jacob's hip. And God tells Jacob, no longer shall you be known as Jacob, but from now on you shall be called Israel. And here in the scripture, when we are we encounter this situation as the scripture paints this picture of this, of this last encounter with Joseph and his father. The scripture calls him Jacob, but then it switches back and it says Israel strengthened himself. And it is not Jacob, but it is Israel who is pronouncing the blessing. Next week when we get to chapter 49, we're going to see Israel foretell what will befall his sons, the scripture says, in the last days. And we see Israel uttering prophetically what will happen with his sons that will become tribes in Egypt. So remember, we're on the front end of 400 years of slavery. This is now Jacob with his 12 sons and their household who have just come to Egypt, and they are on the front end of 400 years. And at the end of those 400 years, remember God told him, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will be with you, and I will make you a great nation there. And through their enslavement in Egypt, God makes Israel a great nation. And next week, we're going to see how Israel, Jacob, the father of these 12 sons, of these 12 tribes, he prophetically utters and he foretells what is going to happen to these tribes. But here, Jacob is with his son Joseph. Remember the son that was lost to him. For 22 years, Jacob believes Joseph is dead while all the time Joseph is in Egypt and he has gone from the very bottom, from being a slave in Pharaoh's dungeon to now ruling the entire empire of Egypt at the right hand of Pharaoh, given all authority over Egypt. And now Joseph comes to his father as Jacob approaches the end of his days, and he brings Ephraim and Manasseh. 
But remember, Ephraim is the, is, is the second child. The firstborn son of Joseph in Egypt was Manasseh, whose name meant God has made me forget the toil and the pain of my father's house. And then he had a second son whose name was Ephraim, which meant God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the custom is, the custom was that there was a blessing reserved for the firstborn. And the firstborn received that blessing, and the firstborn was, if we can say it this way, was to be preeminent or to rule over the other sons. Remember, we saw this with uh, Esau and Jacob, the twins who were born, and Esau comes out first, but Esau, the Bible says, despised his birthright, and he sold his birthright, the, the right of the firstborn, he sold it to Jacob for a bowl of porridge. And then remember the, the, the beautiful imagery of how Jacob dresses up like Esau, and he goes into his father, and he receives the blessing that he does not deserve. He receives the blessing of the firstborn because he goes into the presence of the father in the identity clothed with and with the fragrance of another. This is a beautiful picture of how we come to the Father. We come to the Father in heaven clothed with and in the fragrance of another. We come clothed in the Son, the Lord Jesus, with the fragrance of the Lord Jesus. And undeservingly, God the Father gives to us the blessing reserved for His only begotten Son. And so... Here is a similar picture that we see with Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob, at the end of his days, he cannot see. He is blind. Joseph comes, brings his two sons. And, and look at this. Israel says to Joseph, he says, And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt. And Joseph at this time may be thinking that, that my, my elderly dad might be a little demented, might be a little uh, unsure. He, he lets it go when he says Ephraim and Manasseh. It wasn't until Jacob actually puts his right hand on Ephraim and begins to bless that Joseph says, no, wait a minute, wait, Father. But here, before he even gets to that point, here's what Israel says. Your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. Now, I want you to understand that this was not just the whim of some old man. And Joseph was not just playing along with his dying father, thinking, well, I'll let dad, you know, I'll, I'll play along with dad, but these are my sons. I want you to understand when Jacob, when Israel, and this is why the Bible refers to him as Israel. It's not Jacob saying this, it's Israel saying this. Who is Israel? Israel was the one who carried the blessing of God. Israel was the one through whom the promised seed would come. 
the blessing is reserved for Israel. And this is not just Jacob, the second born of Isaac speaking. This is Israel. This is the promised seed. This is the one who received the birthright. This is the one who received the blessing. This is the one whom God touched and dislocated his hip and said, you will always remember that I am the Lord, your God. You will no longer be called Jacob, but you are Israel and my blessing and my promise goes with you. This wasn't just an old man And this wasn't just a son allowing this old man to play out his last moments. No, this was Israel. This was the anointed one. This was the one through whom the seed would come. And he was declaring, your sons are mine. And it had all the force of of what we would call a legal adoption today. Jacob took those boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he said, those are my sons, even as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And when you go and you see subsequently through the scripture, you'll see that Ephraim and Manasseh are listed with the tribes of Israel. They have a position as if they were the very sons of Jacob, because Jacob claims them right here. He said, your sons are mine, even as Reuben and Simeon are mine. So throughout the pages of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the grace of God at work. God's covenant with his people has always been established in grace. The old covenant was a covenant of grace. Many people think the old covenant was not a covenant of grace. It was absolutely a covenant of grace. There is as much grace in the Old Testament as there is in the New Testament. It's always been about grace. It's always been by grace. The Old Covenant was a covenant of grace. The New Covenant is a better covenant established on better promises. Why? Because Christ, who is the substance of all of the shadows revealed to us in the old, he is now the substance that has come. So when we look here at Ephraim and Manasseh, we're looking at a type and a shadow and a picture of what God will ultimately do through Christ, who is the substance. This is how you and I have come to receive the blessing and the birthright that is reserved only for the deserved one, only for the firstborn, only for the preeminent one. We have come to receive that very blessing because Christ is the substance and he has established by grace this way for us to enter into this covenant and be blessed with the blessing that we do not deserve. He is the substance of all the shadows in the old. We no longer have to look to copies and shadows. This is what Hebrews 8.5 speaks of. The things of this earth, the tabernacle, the temple, all of those, the altar, the ark, the lampstand, the table of showbread, The writer of Hebrews says, these are just copies of the heavenly. These are just 
shadows. These are just copies that represent something that's real. This is the shadow. Listen, that lampstand was made out of real gold. That ark was made out of real acacia wood overlaid with real gold. When that, when that Levite touched it to keep it from falling in the dirt, God struck him dead, even though that was just the copy And if the copy was that sacred, if the copy was that holy, can you imagine? No, you can't, and neither can I. How sacred and how holy the real, the substance is. See, we're not looking to shadows any longer. We're not chasing shadows any longer. We have come into the substance. Christ has come. Christ came. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was resurrected. He ascended to the Father. He received the kingdom. He sits at the majesty on high. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. This is Christ. This is who you have been joined with through a new birth by the Spirit, by the grace of God. This is the God the Savior, the Christ that the Bible begins to talk about at Genesis 1-1 and we see recorded all the way to the last verse of the book of Revelation. But that's just the condensed version. He is eternal. He is without beginning. He is without end. He is the infinite one. Heaven and earth cannot contain him. We don't look to shadows any longer because the substance has come. We can look face to face into the very heavenly, into the very substance who is Christ. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. In the blessing of Joseph through Ephraim and Manasseh, we see the gospel of God's grace. We see an adoption We see the blessing and we see this principle that God has accepted the second in place of the first. So let's talk about that. So here is Jacob with his son Joseph, but not Jacob, not just Jacob, but Israel. And Israel begins to proclaim a blessing. And Israel proclaims that I will adopt your sons. Your sons will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Jacob calls Ephraim and Manasseh his own. He adopts them as his own sons. And this is what God has done for us in Christ. We are born again in Christ. And we are brought into relationship with the Father And through adoption, we are made his very own. 
This is what Paul writes in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Or in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. I love this. Paul writes, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. How did we come to obtain that position? The Bible says it was not according to our merit. It was not according to our works. It wasn't according to what we deserved. It was according to the good pleasure of his will. He did it because he willed to. He saved you because he willed to save you. Not because you deserved or I deserved to be saved. And he says, this is to the praise of the glory of his grace. This grace by which we have become accepted in the beloved. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he has made us accepted in the beloved. He made you. And he made me accepted in the beloved. By grace, we received the spirit of adoption. By grace, we were redeemed and adopted as sons. And by grace, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Before the foundations of the world, you realize what that means. That before there was a heaven and an earth, before there was a sun, a moon, or stars, or comets, or meteors, or galaxies, or black holes, or anything else that's out there. The Bible says that God, this is what the scripture teaches us, that God predestined us to adoption as sons. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. This is why the Bible says we always have a reason to rejoice. We always have a reason to give thanks. In all things, give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Yeah, but pastor, you don't. No, 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 wait a minute. Before 
the foundations of the universe were laid. The Bible said God chose you in him. If that doesn't give you reason to be thankful, if that doesn't give you reason to rejoice, then what does? Everything may fail and fall around you, but the love of God will never fail. What God has done for you in Christ can never be taken away. The devil can't touch it. You can't mess it up. It is eternally secure. Not by your work, not by what you are able to do. It is eternally secure by what Jesus Christ has done. He has adopted us. He has made us his very own. By God's grace, Joseph was carried off to Egypt as a slave. By God's grace, Joseph had two sons that were to make him forget his toil and enjoy his fruitfulness in Egypt. And by grace, those sons were adopted and made sons of his father. So it is by grace that we have been adopted and made sons of the father in heaven. This is what we see when we look at Joseph's life. This is what we see when we look at all the patriarchs that we've looked at throughout the book of Genesis. That's why I love the book of Genesis because it shows us how God works and how God deals in the midst of everything. In the, in the most difficult, in the hardest, most dark circumstances, we see that God is always working his divine and eternal purpose for his glory and for our good. That when we can't seem to figure out how anything could possibly come of this that's good, yet we see over and over and over how God takes the hardest and the worst situations and he brings good and glory out of them all. Because this is what God does. This is the promise that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And so here is Israel, and he says, I'm going to take your sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they're going to become mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And Joseph brings those sons, and they come to the very presence of Israel. And the Bible says that Joseph brings them near and Israel kisses them and embraces them. And we see this later on. We see the writer of Hebrews says that, that Jacob or Israel is leaning on his staff. Now, I don't know if he's sitting up or where he's at, but he's literally on his deathbed here. And it says that Joseph brings the boys near. Now look at verse 12. It says, so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim 
with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand. So if you can imagine, Joseph brings his boys, and he brings them to Israel, and they're facing them, Now, this is my right hand. And when Joseph brings Manasseh, he brings him with his left hand, and he pushes him, he puts him right up there to Israel's right hand. And as Joseph is facing his father with his right hand, he he nudges Ephraim up there with his right hand to, to Israel's left hand. And Joseph is thinking... That here is the firstborn, here is the secondborn, and my father's going to put his right hand on the firstborn and proclaim the blessing of the firstborn on my son Manasseh, my firstborn son. And then he's going to put his left hand on my secondborn son, Ephraim, and he's going to proclaim a blessing to him. But the blessing of the firstborn, the right-handed blessing, goes to the firstborn. And so Israel is there, and the boys come And it just seems like it would be so easy for him just to go like that. And it even says that he's basically blind. But yet, look what the scripture says. It says in verse 14, Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head. So here are the boys And Israel goes like this. (laughs) That's how he's praying for him. The second born is here and he lays his right hand on the second born. And he begins to proclaim the blessing of the first on the second. And he puts his left hand on the first born. And Joseph says, wait, father. No. The Bible says in verse 17 that it displeased Joseph when he saw what? Jacob was doing remember Joseph bows down with his face to the ground and when he realizes what's going on he's like no wait but I want you to look at verse 15 verse 15 says and he blessed Joseph now who's he praying for he's laying hands on Ephraim and Manasseh but the Bible says as he lays hands on Ephraim and Manasseh and begins to pray He blesses Joseph. Who were Ephraim and Manasseh? They were the grandsons of Jacob. But what did grandpa just do? He said, these sons are mine. Your sons are my sons. In fact, he says, if you have any other children. And the Bible doesn't tell us that Joseph had more than these two sons. But Jacob says... Any other offspring that you have, they will not be their own tribes. They will be known by the names of these two sons that are mine. So Joseph, whatever other offspring, if you have other offspring, the offspring that comes from you will always be known by these two right here. Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And it says, he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow That word grow is an interesting word there. It's a Hebrew word that means to spawn like fish. Let them spawn into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And then in verse 20, it says, By you, Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. To this day, that is the blessing that Jews will pray. Let God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim's name is always put first, even though he is the second born. He is the younger because he is preeminent. Why is he preeminent? Because God made him such. Why was David, the youngest of all of his brothers, made And called in in the Psalms the firstborn. He wasn't the firstborn chronologically. He was the firstborn in preeminence. Blessing, the blessing of the second over the first. Jacob bestows upon the younger the blessing of the firstborn. And this pictures for us the acceptance of the second man and the rejection of the first man. So if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 47, we see Jesus referred to as the first man, but he's actually referred to as the last Adam and the second man. The first man is called the man of the earth, the man of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. We have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The first man was Adam of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Jesus is also called the last Adam. All those who are born in Adam die. Even so, all who are in Christ shall live. When are you born into Adam? In your natural birth, when you came from your mother's womb, you were born from, of, into Adam. You're a son, you're a child of Adam. When are you born into Christ? When you're born again of the Spirit of God. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. When you're born again of the spirit, you are of the second man. When you're born from your mama, you're of the first man. When you're born again by the spirit, you're of the second man. So not only were the sons adopted, but they received the blessing of the father. They were both blessed and they were blessed in Joseph's name and they And he blessed Joseph and he said, but it was the younger, the second, that received the blessing of the firstborn. Ephraim became first, not in chronology, but first in 
preeminent. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul writes this. He says, he is the image, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether rather excuse me, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Paul writes, he is the first born over all creation. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, but he is not a created being. Jesus is the creator. He is not a creation. Jesus existed before creation. The creation came from him. Jesus Christ is called the firstborn over all creation, meaning Christ is the eternal creator of all things, yet he is this firstborn, and it refers to Christ as the firstborn. And when Paul writes this, he has in mind this this word preeminence, not first, remember in chronology, but in preeminence. David wasn't the first born of Jesse, but he was the preeminent brother of all the others. So the usage is firmly established in the Old Testament. For example, Ephraim is referred to as the Lord's firstborn in Jeremiah 31.9, even though Manasseh was born first. Likewise, David is appointed the Lord's firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth in Psalm 89.27, despite being the youngest of Jesse's sons, recorded there for us in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while neither Ephraim nor David was the first one born, they were first born in the sense of preeminence or prime position. Paul refers to Jesus as the firstborn over all creation, not the firstborn in creation, but the firstborn over all creation. And as such, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. In Christ, all things hold together. Do you realize if it weren't for Christ, everything would would come apart at the seams, literally. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have received the blessing of the Father in Christ. Christ, the firstborn over all creation, the preeminent one, has received the blessing of his Father, and we as adopted children of God have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, we become partakers of that blessing in Christ. You say, yeah, but how does that help me? Oh. Stop thinking small. How does that help us? How does it not help us? How does it not freely give us all things? How does it not provide all things that pertain to life and godliness for us in Christ? That we would 
realize, that we would know, that we would understand what has been given to us in Christ. To know, to understand, to just glimpse the blessing that we have become partakers of in Christ Jesus. Because God, like Ephraim and Manasseh, has adopted us as his very own and bestowed upon us the blessing of Christ because we become his in Christ. This is the ultimate fulfillment. This is seen in the preeminence of Christ, the second man and his spiritual offspring over Adam, the first man, and his natural offspring. Christ is the preeminent one over all creation. Christ is the promised seed and all the types and all the shadows and all the copies of the old covenant point to Christ and the promised blessing that is only experienced in Jesus. For the believer, this is not about merit or works. It is about election and grace. Ephraim didn't receive the blessing because he deserved it any more than Jacob received it because he deserved it. It was never about that. It is about election and grace. We do not experience the blessing of the new birth by the Spirit in Christ because of our good works, but by grace through faith alone. In Christ we are given the blessing we did not deserve. By grace we are given the blessing we could never earn by our good works so that we can now walk in good works that were prepared beforehand for us in Christ. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by good works, but we are absolutely saved by grace to unto good works in Jesus Christ. Do you understand the difference? You're not saved by your good works. You're saved to good works. There was no good work in you before you were born again, before you became the offspring of the second man. But when you became a child of God, the Bible says you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God didn't save you because he looked through the corridors of time and said, boy, I see all the good works that Jeff Ripple's going to do. I'm going to save him because he's going to do some good things. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. There is none good, no, not one. There is none who seek after God. They have all gone astray, the Bible says. When God looked through the corridors of time and he saw Jeff Ripple, he said, that guy is lost in sin. His heart is black. His heart is hard. He doesn't deserve one thing from me. But in my grace, I'm going to give him what he doesn't deserve. And if you're born again, that's exactly what happened to you. That's exactly 
what happened to you. Why did Ephraim receive the blessing of the firstborn? Not because Ephraim was a better son than Manasseh. It was a picture of God's grace. It was a picture that all of us in Christ have received the blessing that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, that we didn't merit in any way, shape, or form. But we got it. How? By grace. By grace. Because of Jesus Christ. Now all who are in Christ have access by one spirit to the Father. We are no longer strangers, but members of the household of God. We have become a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is the grace of God. Turn in your Bible over to Ephesians chapter 2. Read with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Follow along and listen to the glorious grace of God in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of who now works in the sons of disobedience. Do you understand, church? This describes every one of us. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And Paul reminds them with this parenthetical statement, by grace you have been saved. In other words, you didn't earn this. You didn't deserve this. You didn't merit this in any way, shape, or form. God did this for you by grace and by grace alone. Verse six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time, this is us, at that time before Christ, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
Do you know why we're not at war with God any longer? Because Christ is our peace. The peace that passes understanding is not just your ability to sleep well at night in the midst of all your stress and worries. It is knowing that you are no longer God's enemy because of what Jesus Christ has done. And the Father doesn't look at you and say, there's my friend. The Father looks at the Son and says, there is peace that has been made between me and the world. Between me and those who did not deserve my grace and my peace. But I have given it to them because of what my son has done. Because my son has become their very peace. He himself is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is only one new creation in Christ. Verse 15, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. In other words, he preached it to the Gentiles, to the pagan idolaters. He preached it to the Jews who had the covenants of God. He preached peace. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. In the spirit. In Ephesians 2. Paul is very purposeful. To remind the church. That it is by grace. That we have been saved. It is by grace. That we have been brought near. By his blood. It is by grace. That he himself. Has become our peace. It is by grace. That God. Made peace. With us. In Jesus Christ. This is why we. Must make peace with one another. God has forgiven us. This is why we must forgive one another. We teach our children, if you hit your brother, we say to that brother who's been hit, who still bears the the scar, the bruise, now forgive your brother. You think he wants to forgive? When someone wounds you, do you think you want to forgive? No, the Bible doesn't say forgive if you want to. It doesn't say forgive if it's convenient. It says forgive as you have been forgiven. He has reconciled us in one body through the cross. He has made one new man from two in Jesus Christ. He came and he preached peace to all. He gave us access to the Father by one spirit. He has made us the household of God. He is building us 
together as a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is the grace of God. This is the work of grace that God is carrying out by his spirit in the hearts and the minds and the lives of his people called the church. God's grace is eternal. That means it has no beginning and it has no end like God himself. It has always been. That's why grace doesn't start with Matthew 1.1. Grace has been from the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth because he's graceful. God sent Jesus because he's graceful. God gave us light because he's graceful. God gave us water and heat and cool because he's graceful. God gave us a beautiful earth because he's graceful. God gave us relationship with one another because he's graceful. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And so is the grace of God, for it has always been and will always be by grace that God works for our salvation and his glory. By grace, we are adopted. By grace, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. By grace, Christ has become the firstborn, the preeminent one over all creation. By grace, we have been given a place with him as children of God, eternally blessed to the praise of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's all stand and let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, by the way that you have made for us to come boldly and with confidence to the very throne of grace. Father, grant us humble hearts that we may experience more abundantly your grace working daily in our lives. Deliver us from the hardness of heart that resists the working of your grace. We confess our great need for your greater grace to work in our life. We confess we do not always know how to pray, but praise God, you have given us your spirit and your spirit always makes intercession according to the will of God. Lord, we declare, let your will be done in us even as it is in heaven. Be glorified through each of our lives and the life of Christ Fellowship Church. Amen. I challenge you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and to seek His grace and to trust Him to raise you up in due season in His time. I challenge you to go and to fulfill the commission that Jesus has given to us to go and to make disciples. That means you must first become a disciple. Amen.